Welcome to Open Door Talks, a podcast series for independent musicians on how to navigate the music industry. I'm your host, Lex Luca, a music producer and DJ from London. I'll be talking to your favorite music makers about their journeys to success. Expect to hear a whole host of tips and tricks from seasoned professionals to help you move forward with your music. Follow Open Door Talks on your favorite podcast platform and head to opendoortalks.com for more information and resources. This is your guide on how to elevate your music. It's Open Door Talks with me, Alex Luca. Welcome along. In today's episode, we are joined by German DJ producer and tastemaker Steve Bug. Steve has forged his own career path since he started DJing and producing music in the early 90s. He's been running his record label Poker Flat Recordings for over 20 years now. It's one of the most well-respected imprints on the scene and it's still leading from the front. Steve is very much a trendsetter and innovator and we cover loads and loads of ground on this one from his production techniques and mixing secrets, running his label and the art of DJing and loads more. I really hope you enjoy this one and you get a lot of value from it. Let's jump right in. Steve Bug, it's great to finally meet you. To kick things off, can you tell us about a recent highlight or milestone in your career that particularly stands out? Well, um, I mean, for me, it's basically I've done pretty much everything that I wanted to do in my career, releasing on certain labels, playing certain clubs or festivals. But I just recently, I played at uh, Muna last weekend, which is a club that's been around for 29 years in the east part of Germany, basically in the middle of nowhere. They only do a few parties a year, but it's a great club. And uh, Matthias Kaden is one of the guys doing the bookings. Of course, the crowd uh, and also the people involved in the club are getting younger and younger. So attracting different crowds and different uh, different approaches to the parties, uh, the few parties they throw every year. But uh, I played with Christian Velvet and uh, Norman from Luna City Express. And it was just, it was incredible. Basically, also because 29 years, having a club around, being around for 29 years, that's that's super rare these days. I mean, usually it's like after five to 10 years, they're all gone, you know, like, and next. (laughs) So, yeah, that was very special. Uh, Good vibes also. Um, I enjoyed that. Great. And this year you've released so many great records. You've been releasing on the likes of Knee Deep in Sound and... I had rejected House Music, uh, Poker Flat, Supplies Music, uh, New Groove. (laughs) And they're probably all coming back next year. I've been super busy lately in the studio. Um, Yeah, it's it's from the creative process. uh, uh, Writing music is just... It's all like I don't know. It's a good. It's a good moment. You know, in your career, you're going through different phases of uh, production levels and uh, and also uh, creativity levels. And um, I definitely had harder times than I do have right now. I really enjoy being in the studio, and uh, the outcome is pretty big. Great. So we're going to jump into your creative process and talk about that a little bit later on. But right now, let's go back. What was the soundtrack of your youth and how did the culture of your hometown influence your music and your musical direction? Yeah, I grew up in Bremen. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of, you know, like uh, everyone back in the days, a lot of 80s uh, synth pop uh, stuff like that. But at the same time, also some funk 
and I really enjoyed uh, listening to all this breakdance stuff uh, that came out in the early to mid eighties. It was the first time that I felt there there's something different from the music that was played on the radio, even though some of the tracks were played on the radio. But I, I felt like there was something a bit more gritty than than most stuff played uh, on the radio, and and uh, it wasn't it wasn't produced so clean. It was just yeah, there was something edgy about it, and I, I really uh, enjoyed it. Unfortunately, the culture is obviously very American. Uh, and uh, so it's it's just been a bad copy of what it probably was in the US. But uh, yeah, this was the first music that I, I uh, discovered as a, as something different. And then I got into house music pretty early in the uh, late eighties due to a friend who um, said we have to go to this club in Hamburg. They were playing house music, and I never actually heard of it before uh, in eighty seven. I think it was. Maybe eighty-eight. I don't. I don't uh, remember exactly the year. Yeah. So after after all, Depeche Mode, The Cure, and whatever I've been listening to, uh, Visage was also one of my favorite uh, bands back in the time. Simple Minds, uh, the early stuff. Yeah. So finally discovered house music, and um, and it blew my mind. I, I basically I've always loved to dance. I've always been on the dance floor uh, in the discotheques compared to clubs um, with more commercial music and funk funk stuff, Prince, uh, Michael Jackson, whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, I got hooked, started buying records and, and then the rest is history. <laughs> so would you say that was a defining moment, that trip to the club in Hamburg? Most definitely. I, I still blame her for ruining my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I mean, it's basically the opposite, but uh, it, it was just, it, it, for me, it was... Entering entering the club uh, and listening uh, a DJ mixing records for the first time um, nonstop, like the beat was going on all night, and uh, it was just I was like, wow, my mind was blown, and the crowd was also it was great. The club, I still think it has like the lightning wise, it has the best simplest uh, setup, uh, but it, I think it worked so great also because they had like a dance floor um, and no bar inside. So it was a room just for the dance floor, which uh, I think the bar is you always disturbing the vibe on the dance floor. I mean, it's not always in all locations. It's not always possible to build it this way, but this was just the look, the, how the location was built. There was one room for the dance floor. The DJ was actually behind uh shaded glass. So you couldn't see blue, blue. You could just see the outlines of the DJ. Um, so you wouldn't, see who was playing it was klaus stockhausen and uh and boris lugos at the time actually playing uh there every week and uh yeah back in my hometown uh soon after i discovered there were a few djs also playing house music one of them was matthias heilborn actually uh who's still uh writing music i think he used to work with deep dish and he's he's i think he's still living in new york uh, at least he's living in the us he had a record with us on poker flat a few years back also which was a great uh matching back together uh, after all the years uh i loved what they were doing and i've been mixing tapes at home being still on the dance floor i never wanted to change side in in the first place uh I, I basically loved being on the dance floor and making tapes for my friends and, and uh, took three years before I started playing in clubs. So you started playing locally in clubs and at what point did you start making music? 
yeah, I, I started playing quite early in uh, 91 uh, with my own parties, um, then soon became resident DJ at the same place after five of our parties that we did. And uh, I think a year later, I already, I mean, I always had the the feeling, when at least when I started playing out in clubs, and then I finally wanted to, I was like, wait a minute, how is this music produced? I was kind of very curious, you know, like I've never seen a studio from the inside. Uh, it, there's no internet. You can't look things up, you know, it's like, it's 91. So what are you going to do? You ask people, blah, blah, blah. And then there were a few people um, from Oldenburg who were uh, always at the club, or not always, but many times. It was Gerrit Freris, uh, Oliver Huntemann, Pick Jomberg from UMate, actually. Uh yeah, a big at the time or on the way on the on the way to build their career uh, in the early days uh, of Umate uh, in the early nineties. Uh, I think MFS Records and 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 Superstition and uh, oh, actually, I forgot before before that. I even I had a friend from Hamburg uh, called uh, Henrich Stammer Johann, who used to release as Aurin uh, on Hardfloor Records and as Fax P H A X on Superstition Records. And he was the first guy I visited in his studio. We know each other from inviting each other. He was he used to play at the Unit Club in Hamburg, uh, where also Tobias Lampe, my label partner these days, uh, they've been uh, the DJ team for for their night at the club. And he was the first to invite me invite me to his studio, and uh, we made the first tracks together. And also, this was the first release ever. But soon after, I started to meet this meet the other guys from Oldenburg and went to their studios, wrote some tracks with uh, Garrett. Uh, being released under Goldfinger. Um, the other first release also, that's where my DJ name comes from. The Fax, my, my label, nowadays label partner Tobias wanted to release the tracks under uh, Henry's name, PHAX Fax. And then we had to find a pseudonym for myself. And uh, <laughs> we, we kind of had a thought about it. And then we finally came up with Steve Buck, which is kind of a, my name, it's Stefan, so like, and a lot of my friends been calling me Steve at the time already, and then the bug I was driving Volkswagen Beetle. That's how it all uh, happened, and then soon after I started buying my own uh, equipment because I realized I wanted to produce by myself. I wanted to find out how how I what I would come up with uh, instead of you know having someone else being influencing on what to do, and and uh, yeah, that's how it happened. Do you remember back then how you developed your production skills? Well, it was really by working with other people, looking over their shoulders, uh, asking questions, um, and then buying my own gear. Uh, at the time, it was rather expensive because you couldn't produce with a computer only. You had to buy uh, actually gear, uh, a mixer, a keyboard, drum machines or samplers, whatever. And um, yeah, and then just basically by playing around with it, I was just really not really knowing what what I was doing but just by you know hearing stuff and talking about things with others and working with the equipment trying how things how things work and and come up with something pretty pretty soon after I I don't want to say I'm a natural but <laughs> it felt it felt like quite easy to me uh to to come up with basic tracks i mean I, I think i have a very good hearing when it comes to harmonies and and uh and notes that are off and stuff like that um 
So yeah, I, I mean, I never studied music, musical theory in school. I, I was only allowed to play uh, the wooden things <laughs> and the triangle, and uh, <laughs> my teacher wouldn't give me any other instrument. I think I, 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 I had to study the flute, but I never been able to really play anything, as far as I remember. Mm. It's it's been too many years ago. Um, <laughs> I just by trying, I, I discovered more and more things and, and, and how music theory works somehow and, and uh, yeah, somehow like that. Then what sparked the creation of your label? Yeah, my first label was Raw Elements. Um, we, I was releasing with Superstition Records for quite some time, uh, but especially the re- releases that I was producing myself, uh, it was very minimal uh mostly not mostly but also based on the little gear i had so i wasn't really be able to create more also the musical knowledge i had i wasn't really able to build more than than what i was building but also i was in love with all the minimal stuff from the early days like robert hood's minimal nation all this kind of stuff uh, i think there's still like uh, till today it's it's just incredible how how people can do so much with so little elements it's 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 incredible my music was never really 100% suitable uh for superstition records uh to be as even founded like a more of a sub label for my stuff uh but i wasn't feeling 100% um happy in the musical environment and uh so we had a conversation one evening at a um, at the restaurant, uh, and um, I was like, "Look, I think I have to change something. I don't think the label is really right for my music." And blah blah blah. And actually, it was him uh, coming up with the idea of uh, founding a label together, uh, which was Raw Elements back in the days. And uh, it was uh, when we talked about it. I mean, I, I had a thought, and then I. Uh, I had already a few friends who were also producing music. They hadn't uh, have their own labels. Um, so it was good to also give others a platform and to surround yourself with, uh, you know, with music that you like and artists and, and people that you like uh, instead of having to rely on others. And that's how we come up with the first label. We did it for three years. Um, and then the distribution was kind of, difficult we were still in the in the as seen as a experimental label uh and a lot of at the time it was more going into very trancey stuff very easy accessible uh compared to what we were doing at the time then we decided to work with a new distribution and uh that's what made us start two new labels actually uh we started desu recordings which is asleep uh, nowadays uh, for the deep house stuff and uh, poker flat recordings uh, which is still around for for the more tech house minimal whatever you want to call it i i don't basically care it's just we're releasing music that we personally like what do you think has been the root of the success of the label Oh, well, I don't know. Because um, this is back in 1999 that you started it. So it's, you know, well over 20 years now that you've had a label and it's very, very rare for, you know, labels to really exist for that long. And you're still independent, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess in my eyes, in my, from what I've seen in the, you know, in the house and techno world, it's, it straddles this kind of lane between house and techno. 
and it's, it's honestly it's just incredible it's super admirable what you've done with it um so that's really where the question comes from you know like really do you guys have a particular ethos or you know what do you think it is that has been at the success of it yeah first of all thanks for the kind words <laughs> um yeah i think basically we've been maybe we've been just lucky with uh with uh, the taste of of the a and r which in this case is me but also my partners uh but yeah i mean i think i always had this my my musical vision for that label it's probably my most loved baby uh, from all the labels i've been running over the years even though this who's i think was very great unfortunately house uh, deep house for a while went in a very complete different direction and it was hard to find artists for a long time and with poker flat it's very consistent um quality of demos coming in um this is something also you have to be lucky with that people you know think your label is worth sending music to and releasing uh, on your label it's not like uh it, it's not only yourself or like the direction you take it's it's also you have to rely on other people trusting in you as a, as a platform and um i think in the beginning when we start again it was more of giving uh, friends a platform to release their music and we all kind of had a similar vision uh, musically um being somewhere based uh between uh, like chicago house and detroit techno maybe with a touch of new york house but not so much on poker flat more for like the disu uh, label um and i think this was still what it is i i i, I basically i never i I'm not like jumping from one trend to the others, but of course there's influences in, you know, changes in the, in the music uh, history or in the history of, of, of electronic music. But there's a general taste that goes back to the roots, I think, which kind of is shown in pretty much every record that we release on the label. And, and uh, I, I can't choose anything else for that label in particular uh that doesn't have that feeling that, that it's like a certain feeling it's a groove uh but it's also it's a kind of a you know like a melancholic uh harmony thing going on there as well like driving bass lines uh yeah it's just it's just the sound that i love and i i think for some reason it seems that people uh, appreciate it and maybe agree with it as well <laughs> and i think that's why we're still around it's just uh, yeah being being lucky i think did you ever have that vision back then in 1999 of, of what it might become or, or was it much more organic yeah it was definitely uh, very organic and uh, i mean we had we had our uh first big peak in around 2007 with a Trent Miller album, which became uh, silver in certain countries, uh, been selling the most selling record on the label ever. I don't think we're ever gonna be able to top that. That was the right music, the right artist uh, on the right label in the right time. It was just perfect timing for everything. And uh, we were just like, we couldn't believe that we had to repress and repress and repress. Uh, I mean, we had strong records before, but it was the first album that really, really um, did quite well in, in a lot of countries. And uh, yeah, and after that, um, I was kind of 
that was the first time where I thought of the direction because um, also a lot of people were kind of, I don't want to say copying, but were kind of doing similar thing that we were doing at the time. And it was always growing into something more, uh, I want to say, commercial in a way. Uh, and I wanted to get away from that. I didn't want to continue in that direction. I rather wanted to step away from it and bring a bit, a few steps back and i i signed some artists and music uh that hasn't been so well known at the time and uh took a few steps back and build it up again from there um but yeah that we're still around after all the years it wasn't never the plan um we had a few thoughts after i think maybe after 10 then after 15 every few birthdays uh celebrations we've been thinking of maybe stopping uh and starting something new but then we realized that we wouldn't do anything different we would still sign the same music so why start something new just because some of the people would think ah, oh, it's an old label i don't want to support it because you know it's around for so many years which definitely happening a lot of people are always searching for the next new thing and you can't be the next new thing if you're around for 20 something years but yeah we decided we we just keep on doing what we do and uh, i think uh, some other people really appreciate that fact and um artists appreciate that fact that's why they're sending us uh, demos uh, still I think it's been a wise decision to keep on going, and now we don't even have the thought of stopping anymore. I think we have to we have to take it into our graves <laughs> at some point, uh, and then I, I can't see anything anybody else running it. To be honest, it, I, it's a very personal thing, and uh, I would never be able to sell it uh, and have someone else uh, running it. What would you say? Twenty four years on, then are the pressures that you encounter running the label? With social media and also um, the streaming platforms, uh, I think uh, a lot of things changed. It was the first big change was going from vinyl to digital. Um, at first, it was an addition because it had additional sales in digital. Um, then it killed the whole vinyl market, even though some people say the vinyl market is back up, but it's for basically old rock albums, pop albums, represses or something like that. The the amount of house and techno records that are sold is like almost uh, not uh, countable, I, I think. Yeah, so be, becoming a digital label uh, and then uh, now having to deal with all the streaming platforms, I think the music industry slept on the whole digitalization and uh, that's how music, uh, now we have to uh, deal with people who do programming and uh, actually use our stuff to grow and uh, make money, build on it and uh, sell it as an, uh, monthly, a month, on a monthly flat, flat fee base. Uh, and the only people who make money, if they do, uh, as far as I know, some of the platforms never even made money because they start to invest money in the company again and, and to to even grow bigger and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we're in a, in a weird position these days because we have to rely on becoming a part of a playlist that ha is played by a lot of people. Uh, the, the whole digging of records, going to a record shop, uh, socializing with other people, um, exchanging thoughts on music uh, 
handing over records to someone else, uh, all this is gone. And uh, it was already gone with the digital world. But now, like with all this playlist uh, stuff, where people don't even hesitate to look for music themselves, it's also very difficult to look for music. The platforms made pretty clear or sure that you can't look for labels. Uh, you only have to look for artists. So they already, uh, which in my case, I wish I could dig for labels uh, on certain platforms, uh, which I can't. Um, so yeah, you have to know the artists. You can't find out all the other stuff that's been released on the label, even if you want to, unless you find the, the playlist due to the artist uh, that you've been following or liking. Uh, so it's yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a complicated world uh, to to release music these days because you have to think of a lot of things. Also, you have to ask yourself, is it worth uh, releasing three tracks on a single because it's only going to be one track that you can push for the playlist? Um, one track is only going to be choose, uh, chosen in the most cases. Uh, if you're very lucky, it's two for different playlists. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a complete different market. And uh, I still think things have to change uh, because I don't think that a lot of labels going to survive uh, if we're going to continue going more into that direction, not buying any music and not owning any music and just streaming it and relying on platforms. I mean, for the listener, it's great. You pay like a monthly fee and you have all the music in the world. But like for the artist, in no matter what kind of music, unless you're one of the top top played artists or top placed artists in playlist it's just bad it's, it's really hard to to make a living with your experience what advice would you give to someone who wants to start their own label don't <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah I, I mean I, I mean it's it's all a question of what do you want from it I mean, these days we have a lot of artists who get into the business for the, in my opinion, the wrong reason. They want to become famous. They want to make money. Um, this is definitely, uh, from my perspective, the wrong, the wrong approach uh, to the whole thing. You you may be uh, you may be getting there, but it's I I don't know how many what what's the percentage of breakthrough artists who really make it to the top with a business plan from the beginning, uh, having to spend a lot of money also on, uh, on advertisements on whatever, like social media companies, uh, uh, management, blah, 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 stuff like that. So if you have the money, uh, building a label based on that fact, you may still be able to succeed. Maybe you even have an investor in the back. Uh, but again, I think this is, uh, this might, lead to the point but it also it costs you a lot of money and it might not get you there and then you kind of left with nothing because you're not even enjoying making music so but if you're in the music because you love what you do you love making music you love producing music you love uh you love the whole thing about it and you don't mind if the money comes back or it, if it's not then i think if you feel like you have to build your own label uh, because you, uh, I mean, it's hard to send out demos and get hurt by labels. I see that fact definitely, but there's a ways around to get through them. 
But yeah, if you feel like you have to build your own label and you want to build your own surroundings by artists, I think the best way is to do if you have a few friends uh, or like mates uh, that kind of have a similar vision that also produce music that has a similar sound to yours, get together and not do it by yourself and don't don't sign any big artists for remixes to build the label in the beginning Start small, start small, start with your friends, uh, release your own music, maybe, you know, remix yourselves uh, and and start putting these records on vinyl or even digitally, just start to put them out and to put them out once they're ready, more and more. After a while, you're going to get hurt for sure. People are going to find out about the label and maybe after 10 releases, maybe after 50, but, you know, be constant Uh, about what you do and notice that it's going to take a long time uh, for people to discover what you're doing. Uh, So you really have to do it for the love. I think that's about if you're, if, if you're in for it, then yeah, that's the way to go. I think. Just one last point on your label. What's the selection process like for poker flat and how can people send you new music? Yeah. I, I mean, as most labels, we have a we have an address on the website where people can send their demos. But again, as I was saying before, it's rather difficult to get heard because the amount, the pure amount of music that is being sent to labels every week, um, so all labels have the same problem. It's overwhelming. It's impossible to listen to everything that comes through. Uh, it's it's just impossible. I wish I would be able to listen to everything, but uh, I would not even not even if I would spent 24 seven on listening to demos, I probably wouldn't get to the, to the end because then there's a next week and then there's a next amount of demos coming in. Um, so yeah, um, what I think is the best way these days, and un- unless you already have a name released with some labels, uh, or you're lucky that you've been picked by some of the unknown artists, uh, and, and, and someone listened to your stuff. Uh, but then, Again, it's quite difficult for um, a lot of labels don't sign artists who haven't released yet. So again, it's a difficult uh, process also. Uh, The best way, I think, is when you go to clubs, uh, go see your DJs uh, that you like, that you personally like, go to when when artists, you know, when when, when they have a label, Take videos when they play, if the club allows you to take videos. Uh, post videos of, of the DJ. Sometimes they're going to repost the video. So you're already kind of in conversation. Um, you have a door, uh, uh, you have a foot in the doorstep. Then from there, you know, maybe you say, oh, I saw you reposting my video. Thanks, it was a great night, blah, blah, blah. Maybe you get a response, maybe you don't, but it's it's you know like that like that and then maybe one day say like hey listen i really dig what you're doing i started producing my own tracks uh, i think they're at the stage where i can send it out and maybe this is something for your label if you have the time please listen to it i think these days is probably the best ways even giving out usb sticks while the dj is playing they kind of get lost in the bags they disappear it's it's not a good way um i think it's better to you know try to make a connection or even when the dj leaves the booth try to talk to them and see like what they what they uh if they want to make a conversation don't get on their nerves but try to make eye contact before and see maybe you know it's the right time 
and approach them and and start a conversation and then you know like maybe connect via um social social media and then try to send a demo over there that's fantastic advice so can you talk us through your creative process how do you make your music well it also changed a lot over the years um in the moment i'm in a state where i'm doing a lot of stuff uh in the box even though i have a lot of hardware but i i think i started with my last album uh never ending winding roads i was just uh i just bought a new computer and uh, i installed all new software and uh by just simply playing around discovering uh the plugins i came up with a whole album uh in a very short period of time and uh i kind of enjoyed working in the box at the time and uh and yeah before that uh everything that was written was mostly uh, analog gear and um i kind of there's still like some issues that i have with it uh i, I sometimes now when i start working in the box uh then i go to the actual synthesizer and record it because i think there's some extra noise, some extra uh, frequencies that the plugin doesn't have, and it, it kind of fits better into the track. But uh, I'm faster in the box and connecting the hardware uh, to the mixer, even though I have a, a lot of uh, the stuff is, is already hardwired, so I can use it uh, pretty much by just turning it on. But still... Um, yeah, it's maybe it's just because my new studio is built. It's much smaller. Even though I can reach everything by without even moving around that much, but somehow it feels very comfortable to work in the box at the moment. And yeah, if I start, there's no usual. But many times I start with um, with a basic kick drum. I try to find a very good sounding kick drum, and then I start playing playing around either with hardware or with software i i play on the keyboard i play usually all my stuff on the keyboard even the drums i don't program them in in any software i i, I rather pro, uh, play them on the keyboard that's how I, I how i learned to do it um even though i have some drum machines i sometimes use but I, I, in the beginning i start writing everything on the keyboard sometimes i just come up with a chord line that i think is worse on continuing sometimes it's a bass line sometimes i add more beats and i build like on the more on the beat side so that's what i'm saying sometimes i try to find a sample from an old record or like even from another sample platform something like that something that i think well maybe i can do something with it uh i chop it up and then play around uh Luckily, Logic finally has a. I'm working with Logic. Logic finally has a very easy way to chop up grooves and and reprogram them on the keyboard, uh, put them in the sampler uh, very easy, um, in in a very few steps, uh, which was a pain in the ass before. Um, it's never really the same. It's it's the the one point that is always important, and that's what makes me decide to continue working on something is that uh if i have something that i can listen to for a long time without getting bored uh, then i think i have something that's worth on working on i i i i just love like being in this kind of a 
trance, not trance, don't get me wrong, more like into this hypnotic loop kind of thing, being stuck into something that you can listen to forever and ride it for, for a very long time. Uh, it, it can be just beats, it can be just a bass line and the kick drum, it can be also just some simple chords. That's the point when I when I have something like that, then I usually color it differently uh, in the projects when I save it as a project. And then I know I'm going to go back if I don't finish it that day. Um, so the good thing about uh, working in the box, maybe that's another reason why I work in the box, is that there's a 100% recall. If I work on a synthesizer while I'm still writing music, uh, then I have the sound I... Uh, um, I save it on the keyboard. Um, so when I go back, I have to remember which sound it is. I'm not 100% perfect in organization. <laughs> so I sometimes lose the sound and I don't know where I stored it and I have to go through all the sounds and it's kind of annoying. And that's the 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 beauty of working in the box. You just upload the project, bam, it's there. It's like everything is there where it used to be. And... Uh, that's uh, a great uh, deal, I think, for my personal creativity. So I can, I don't have to finish tracks like I did back in the days when I was still working all analog. Uh, remember, like you have to all, all the setups, the, even the mixer. You have all the EQing on the mixer. Everything is done. You you just can't go to write another track and come back to it because you're gonna change the EQ. You're gonna change the settings on the keyboards and stuff like that. And and especially with the older gear, there's. I mean, the newer gear you can like adjust the button where it was before because it shows sometimes as a light. But on the old gear, it's like if once you turn the knob, it's like really hard to figure out. If you turn like one knob, it's fine. You're going to find it. But if you turn like all knobs, then it's going to be like, even if you find the right sound that you uh, saved, then still it, all the faders on knobs going to be on a different position. If So once you touch the one knob and then the second, and then you're never going to find the way back. So it's really difficult. And um, I think, yeah, that's the beauty of working in the box, being able to work on several projects uh, in the same period of time or even go back to a project that's three years old and then uh, having everything already there that you, and you don't have to go back to like mixing uh, to get it to an okay sound where you can work on it, you know. I'm really interested in, you know, we mentioned earlier, even this year alone, you know, you've released on on you know some amazing labels. Can we hone in, say, for example, on your Knee Deep in Sound EP? How did you make that particular EP? Was it all in one day? Did you have some kind of inspiration by, behind it? Did you know it was going to be on that label to begin with? What was the process behind making that record? Well, that I think... It's 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 there's a this chord line. This is the first thing I came up with, and then I wrote everything else around. Uh, when when I had the chord line, I felt like this is very uh, kind of old schoolish. So I was looking f for more beats that that are kind of you know uh, fitting in that direction. And uh, but I already at a very early stage, I I had the feeling that it needs vocals and. Uh, Defects had just released a record with Blonde Wearing Black on our label, and uh, he did another one with her uh, years before that I also liked very much. So I asked her if she wants to do uh, vocals for it, and um, 
she really loved the track, uh, sent over the vocals. Uh, I started working on more details, adding bass lines, trying things out, and uh, finally came up with this version. I think it took quite a long time, especially mixing. I had a lot of issues in the new studio that I just recently solved, and I thought I solved them before, after that single, uh, to be honest. But I just realized I, I haven't. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, small rooms come with big uh, problems. Um, it, it's not recommended if you can find a or afford a bigger studio or find a bigger studio. Then make sure it's not it's it's in a certain amount of space. I think you even can find it online. How where the size starts that makes that is easier to uh, make soundproof and and and. Uh, and you know, get all the frequency off. Uh, but uh, my room comes with a lot of uh, problems because of the size, uh, where the bass cuts out itself, and it's not basically nothing you can do because it's just the walls that sit there and you can't move them. So um, even though the, all the bass traps I have in here, and even if I would throw in more, it, it doesn't change because it's, you're still going to have the reflections from the bass. Yeah, so I spent a lot of time mixing this track. I think there's been. 12 maybe 15 versions uh then i um finally had a version that i was happy with and uh i started thinking of labels i had a few and uh a few ideas where to send it to and uh i thought that uh, need even sound was the right fit for the label they saw it as well so uh it all happened <laughs> So when you're making music, do you have a vision in mind of, of what you want the track to be before you start? Or do you just kind of get into the studio and see what happens? Yeah, I usually get into the to the studio and, and see what I can come up with, playing around with new synths, new software, uh, or, you know, just whatever, like trying to create a new sound by yourself, uh, stuff like that using is finding a sample or sometimes it's just i don't know it's really hard to to describe things fall in place easily for me a lot of times uh the basic idea uh, comes very quick and a very few uh, moments and uh, again it's more for me it's about being free and trying things and not like limiting myself to this is the direction i want to go i think that's basically the major issue that that the music has these days is that many people, they want to sound like that particular record or they want to do a track that's in that genre because that genre is now at the stage where everyone's saying, this is the shit you have to do. This is the sound you have to do. It's like, no, if, if I mean, for, for artists really to express themselves, you don't want anyone to tell you you have to do this direction or that direction. You want to be free to explore yourself. You want to go and try things out. You want to, you know, like a lot of things happen by accident. If I would know what I want to have in the end, I would rather go to a producer and tell them what I want and then have them produce it because why should I even bother, you know, like if I know exactly what I want? It's like, it's not how it works for me. I think that uh, there's a lot of producers uh, out there who can do and also uh, who do growth producing because of that reason, because they they understand like where they want to go and they know exactly how they 
get to this point and they may be satisfied by getting to this point. But for me, that that wouldn't be satisfying if I already know where I end up. It's kind of, for me, it's the past, you know, it's all about the past. It's like I'm starting and then I don't know where I'm going. And it's like, that's all the, the fun in the creation. It's about, you know, being open to uh, what's happening. And then maybe at one point when you think, okay, I have something here and it kind of, Maybe it reminds you of something, as I said before, with the other record with Blonde Bear and Black on 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 Needy Bin Sound. Then I was like, "Oh, this sounds a bit like that." And then I go a bit in that direction, or at least try to put it in that direction. Uh, but a lot of times, I don't. I I just see what co- what I can come up with. A lot of times, it makes sense that uh, that you see it was going that direction, or it it in your mind you think it should go that direction at a certain point um, because it's been done before and it worked. Uh, and it's sometimes it's uh, certain things don't work. For example, take a 99 kick and an 808 kick or like the hi-hats. 808 hi-hats don't work with certain, certain grooves, certain sounds. They work with others much better. Same with the 99 or the kick drums. 808 kick drum doesn't work in every track. So at one point you have to decide like, uh, or like it, 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 certain elements give you a certain direction. Um, I think, but, uh, yeah, stay open. I think this is the most, uh, important, uh, advice I would give to to artists: enjoy yourself in the studio and explore, and and don't limit yourself by wanting to create a certain sound. It's I think it's rather boring, and that's why we have so many tracks out there that sound like very similar, and they might work, but I don't think I don't think you're ever gonna have like a super big record that sounds like all the other records that have already been big at the time. Uh, I think to really come up with something. Uh, that is going to break through or has been like bigger or seen is like always something that is different. And then maybe it's copied afterwards, but you've been the first and it's getting more and more difficult every year, of course, because uh, 30 plus years of electronic music doesn't leave uh, many gaps uh, to fill. Um, There's still combinations of sounds, but I mean, yeah, probably it's very hard to come up with something super original these days. Uh, but again, I think it's more about you know the 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 process of creating and and getting to to wherever it leads you. Be open to mistakes. Thank you. That was brilliant. I really enjoyed your answer, and you actually answered my follow up questions uh, about advice for music. <laughs> so uh, for, for producers, so artists often find inspiration in unexpected places. Where do you find your inspiration, and how do you incorporate that into your music? Well, it can be it can be a great uh, great weekend touring, a great night at a club. Uh, it can be a hiking trip. Uh, it, it can be just anything. It, it can be record shopping. It can be listening to an old album of whatever. Um, but it, I, in general, uh, for me, it's more about a mute, mood thing. Um, I tend to write different music uh, in different dates I'm in uh, mood-wise. When something sad happens, I write different music than if I'm on a super high uh, in a positive way. Um, These are the things, I mean, the the daily life really uh, influences me on on 
on what I write musically, even though I'm not like a classically music uh, a producer or a writer. Um, but still, I think you can hear it in my tracks. Uh, I I basically know like where where I've been in which kind of mindset I've been at the time. And uh, yeah, inspiration comes from from so many sources. And and I think everybody has to find their own sources and and uh it's it's probably impossible to to give advice to anybody because i think it's just life that is really inspiring in all perspectives obviously one of the challenges for musicians and producers is to finish their tracks yeah how easy do you find it to finish your music and do you have a process to do so mm. Yeah, well, again, um, since I have all these uh, projects um, and I've been able to switch between those, it's been easier because before uh, you have you had been forced to finish something that you started, uh, even though when you come back the next day and you don't really feel what you've been writing the day before, uh, you still had to stick to it and kind of, at least you were trying to finish it for a week, sometimes a month. That was very hard uh, time, uh, I think, um, for many people. Um, so being able to switch between projects really helped me to uh, find the right project to finish. Um, many times I have something that I started, as I was saying before, and then I put it aside because I can't, I couldn't finish it that day. Uh, and then I come back another day, and suddenly I, I it's just like. It's like okay, this is missing. I, I, now I know exactly what I need, and then and then you put it in. And sometimes it's just try try more things, and then come up accidentally with something that makes it uh, into something that you think is worth finishing. But yeah, it's it's for me. It's it's always about this moment where um, trying to find something that I think is worse to finishing. There's some tracks I don't think are worth finishing, even though I have every element uh, to finish the track. But yeah, once I'm there and I feel like I have all the elements, then I'm pretty good at arranging. And uh, I like simple arrangements. I don't like too many too many um, additional uh, sweeps and swaps and this and that even though it's very modern to use these because you can get them very easy from platforms, but easy, you can also really easy build them yourself. But yeah, I, I kind of like uh, simple, simple arrangements, especially when you have this kind of the, the hypnotic element in the track, you don't need so much to around to, to really build it to, to something, um, to something that works uh, in a in a arrangement uh, without you know having all the big buildups and this and that and, and all these little effects here and there um, because it's kind of the the reputation it's what carries the whole track. Um, mm. For me, it's just uh, a feeling that I have, and it's coming with probably with uh, making music for many years. I think it's it's very hard for. Uh, for someone who just started to realize or to to know uh, when they have enough elements to start an arrangement or to see if so, my advice would be because like coming from uh, having seen over shoulders uh, at the master classes uh, I did this summer is um, 
when you think you have enough elements, start arranging and you're easily going to find out that you have enough or that you don't have enough, that you're still missing on something. Build a simple arrangement and then add stuff at the points where you need them. If you get stuck already at two minutes and you have nothing more to tell, then probably you definitely need more elements or you need to tweak one of the elements as, as in opening a filter and closing it again and maybe fading it out, fading it back in, something like that also works. But yeah, I think starting an arrangement a lot of times uh, does help showing you if you have enough elements or if you don't. Uh, and also it might show you if what you have is worth finishing because in general, when you're just starting, I think no matter what, finish your tracks because it's better to have 10 finished tracks and having the knowledge of knowing already, okay, I can finish tracks and I know how to do it, even though I, this is not released and they're probably never going to be released because it's not. I don't want to show them to anyone and I don't think they're good. But I have them finished and that, you know, a lot of people struggle with finishing songs, as you said before. I think just finish them no matter what happens afterwards because then you have finished something. It's going to give you confidence in finishing more stuff in the future. And uh, I think, yeah, starting arrangement, finishing things, even if not everything is there, I think it helps for the future. 100%. You learn so much by finishing your tracks even if they never get released or you never play them to anyone. And I think the analogy, which is a brilliant one, is around making a cake. So, you know, to make a cake and to learn how to become a great <laughs> cake maker, uh, you need to go to the shop, you need to buy the ingredients, you need to come back, mix all the ingredients and put it in the oven and taste it as well. Um, I'm sure there's a few other bits as well in, involved in making the cake, but, you know, you get the idea that you're not going to get great at making a cake if you just go to the shop buy all the ingredients, come home and put it in a bowl. You need to go through that whole process. Yeah. I do want to talk about your mixing because one thing I, I love about your music is how well mixed your tracks are. What's your methods or secrets behind mixing your, your own records? I mean, again, um, when I started, as, as every other artist, my first tracks, if you listen to them they today, most of them sound very crappy. I have tracks that have a kick drum that sounds like a rim shot. <laughs> it's so high pitched <laughs> that it's, but I've been mixing on hi-fi speakers the first years because all my money went into buying synthesizers, a mixer and a sampler. So I didn't have any budget left to buy uh, speakers, studio speakers, which my biggest advice is these days, just buy perfect pair of headphones or speakers invest that money in the very beginning it's gonna change how you're gonna um write music and how your sounds how's your tracks gonna sound in the future so i had the hi-fi speakers um i again i i was learning things the hard way i've been releasing stuff i've been lucky enough that or unlucky enough that someone released my first tracks even though they sounded not really perfect um, but then again, I had to listen to them on records. I had to play them in clubs, uh, but I got to see that they sound a crap in comparison to other to other tracks that I've been playing. So I knew I had to do something better. So again, I had to go back next track a bit better, next track a bit better, next track a bit better, then maybe Fallout, then the next track a bit better. So it's, uh, I mean, I've been doing it for so many years now. I think um, 
over the years, learning and learning, changing studios, changing speakers, changing the setup, uh, changing mixers. Uh, you, you you keep on learning and learning, and um, for a short or even for a longer period, I used a engineer to mix down my tracks with. We sit down, uh, sat down together, and mixed uh, the tracks. I learned something during that period as well, uh, definitely. Of course, uh, the tracks are being produced and mixed in that time. They all like sound uh, pretty perfect because um, they've been mixed by someone who's been specialized in that, having a perfect set of ears just uh, focused on mixing. And uh, then when COVID hit and also the amount of money that was coming in from music production was getting smaller and smaller i decided to try and go back to mix my own tracks uh but then i soon realized that apart from the money perspective i was really enjoying what i was doing even though i didn't have the perfect uh, at the beginning i was mixing in my old studio that was quite easy for me because i've been there for 15 years so i knew the speakers i knew the setups i knew everything it was easy for me to mix down tracks with uh, with all the knowledge being uh, achieved over the years and mixing with other people, sitting next to them uh, in the, in their studio and having the opportunity of having all that gear that before I didn't uh, haven't been able to afford or I didn't spend money on because I mostly spent my money on synthesizers and I only have a very few EQs uh, and uh, compressors uh, on hardware. But finally, with software, um, you have all the opportunities, all the gear that you could never afford or you never bought as uh, analog or some of them because this was old gear, you know, and it's also really rare to find. Suddenly you have all this stuff uh, in the digital world and uh, you start using it and, and trying things out and, and learning again, learning and learning. I think in general that's maybe... One of the things I really like about making music um, is that you never stop learning. It's it's just great to explore and get better at things, and and I just love it. It's it's uh, yeah. It's it's with every new track. There's always that's sometimes why I barely play my own music because every time I I play them I find something that I would change if I would mix it again. So even with tracks that I've mixed with others, there I found elements that I would change in the future. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's been a long process uh, and I, I don't think I ever going to be at the point where I'm saying like everything is perfect because I probably would get bored and then stop making music. Um, so yeah, I still enjoying the ride. I still enjoy learning and, uh, I appreciate that people like you and others think that my music sounds great. Um, I do think it sounds good. <laughs> I still think I can get better, but yeah, I think it's just you know, as I said, it's it's uh, it's just years of of producing and and uh, finding things out. Sometimes the hard way, sometimes the other. Are there any particular plugins or methods that you you use now when you're mixing your records, whether it's saturation or? or panning or something you know is there any anything that you that you'd recommend that people look into one plugin that changed things for me a lot is the pro q um equalizer 
uh, it does. It really does a great uh, job on precise EQing. Um, yeah, that that helped me uh, a lot. Uh, being, I mean, in general, coming from the console mixing, not having a visual EQ, it's okay. It helps you learn things. Uh, it's like mixing on a CDJ and blocking the BPM and trying to find the pitch, or on a turntable where you don't have the BPM, trying to to pitch in the track and uh so knowing which frequencies you want to cut uh without seeing them is like something is good to learn for your ears but then again having everything visually there seeing like where your problem is uh in the sound where the peaks are and why there is space on a hi-hat that you don't need there are all these kind of things that really help uh getting better mixes i think um then yeah stereo field is something especially when you use analog gear or even old gear that's kind of replacing the digital or like putting the digital version of of the analog uh, uh thint it's mostly mono uh, there's no true stereo so it's really difficult to get these in a very good stereo field there's different ways to do it you could use like a nice um Uh, chorus uh you can use a nice effect that has like a very wide range you could even place them on the left and the right channel so there's so many ways it's really hard to say there's this particular plugin that i use all the time um yeah i think the eq was for me like one of the one of the best investments uh, i mean a lot of other eqs also have the visual one but i think this is working very precise and is sounding very good which is very important and then like some of the effect units uh, i think are important but i don't want to i don't want to give out all my personal <laughs> preferences on <laughs> delays and stuff like that <laughs> of course of course i love the comparison function on the pro q3 i think that's really really useful especially for for bass and kick um frequencies yeah exactly having having the opportunity to to have the to have the the have both visually in the same in the same window it's it's really great you don't have to open two of them you just put them in the same window and it's really helping mm. to you know make room for the others also for synths and bass when when they you have certain synths they go they go all the way into the bass and you want to cut them but you don't want to cut too much because then you're losing a bit of the sound it's also i mean you can tell by ear but uh yeah it definitely helps to have the visualization of it as well yeah is there a specific aspect of your music that you've worked hard on improving and refining and what are the deliberate steps you took to get better for me it's 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 basically learning little steps steps by step uh because a lot of times i didn't know what my problem was i only knew that there were issues uh with certain things and uh then uh when i finally realized what the issue was then it was easy to fix so uh again many things came automatically in the process and and working on music over the years and uh sometimes asking others if if you need you know if you need an advice i trust i trust uh other people more than 
the internet with all the information given by all the people <laughs> uh, because there's a lot of information that's not really helpful. There is helpful information for sure, but also a lot of people say there's rules about this and that in music, but I don't think there actually is. And uh, there's one example. When, when, you, when you look at certain records uh, produced in the early 90s, late 80s, um, if you would look at them from a from a today's perspective on is it a perfect mixed record or is it not a lot of the people back in the days didn't know how to mix records everything was in the red the eq was completely uh open um stuff like that they were recording it on tape decks instead of you know like uh bouncing it out on a high high end uh software um or computer uh so but these tracks they do have a charm and sometimes they even almost in mono and still in the club they take out every modern produced track just by the simple amount of whatever it is it's really hard to say so i think that's maybe the the issue of house and techno that perfect Uh, mixed music isn't always the best functioning in the club but finding out which frequencies to use and which elements to have louder instead of putting everything where it should be by some music theory um, that, that's I think is, is the art and I, it's still something I'm trying to figure out uh, many times and, and uh, it's, it's hard to make decisions on which elements you want loud and which elements you don't want to be so loud and stuff like that and uh, yeah I think it's just keeping doing and learning it's an ongoing quest for mastery which is yeah. new each time you start a new track which is fascinating The journey of an artist is filled with obstacles and challenges. Can you share a story of a particular challenge or a hurdle that you faced and how you overcame it? Yeah, there's there's definitely um, writer's blocks, I think, are terrible to overcome, uh, but they happen. And um, I don't have a solution that, Like kind of you say like okay now I've haven't written any music I don't have any ideas so I don't have any solution that you gonna be that you fix it in one week and then you come gonna come back and be able to write anything again but in general I think it's about letting go trying to not think about making music do something else go to the mountains or go to a lake or go wherever take a break go on vacation if you can. Or just do something completely different and then come back another day, try again. If it doesn't work, just leave it, go away, do something else, come back again and, and see again if it's if it's came back already. This is the hardest topic. Uh, for me, again, uh, it, it helped um, getting away from it and just leaving things be and, and not trying to push it uh, It's it was the only way to overcome it, and I think that's probably the one for everyone else. If if you if you try to push it, it's, it's gonna 
frustrate you even more and you're gonna go down the down the rabbit hole is it how you say it in english exactly yeah yeah so uh, yeah better better just leave things be and and just try to be like okay i mean it's 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 hard these days because sometimes people the management if you have a management the management gonna make might be saying to you ah we need more music to be released even though it really doesn't help to get bookings these days no matter where you release or what you release so there's this kind of pressure of you know having to release constant material even on social media so you have to kind of have material to present to people so a lot of people are forced or think they are forced to finish tracks and uh then it's really hard to let go if you have a writer's block but it's the only way i think it's the only way to get over it with the demands that you have of being a busy touring dj and you love spending time in the studio how do you make sure that you live a balanced life Yeah, I think uh, sports always helped me. Uh, I used to, in the early days, I used to run a lot. Uh, I used to run more than 10, 15 Ks three times a week. Um, then I got bored by it after a few years and also didn't, I'm, I'm a very skinny guy. It didn't really build any muscles and uh, I was getting even skinnier than <laughs> from running. I was always looking like a marathon runner. Also, when you run three times a week, 15k like what's the next where, where are you going it's like i don't know it's it, not much okay i can do it faster yeah but i was like it's i know okay uh so i had to cut down my running because it was not really going anywhere i felt it, it was weird um then i started uh swimming but then i reached to like 2ks three times a week <laughs> and uh same thing i was like okay where i'm going now Then, uh, yeah, I, in general, sports, I've been playing beach volleyball with some DJs for quite some time. That was fun, uh, but it was only doable in the summer. And then finally discovered uh, the bouldering, climbing uh, a few years back, I think eight years now. And that would kind of combine a lot of, uh, a lot of good things. Becoming super fit, also, you have to think about how to get up the roots is like kind of solving puzzles by being physical active and meeting some cool people uh at the same time uh that was i think the the best thing that happened it kind of became a second passion and uh and there's always there's never like an end you can even though you go three times a week i think i will never reach uh, to the hardest levels uh in any gym in this world so it's it's good to be able and there's new routes all the time so it's new new challenges all the time and i think i i like to challenge myself that's why bouldering i think it's a perfect sport for me it's just great when it's over you usually feel satisfied and good about yourself uh because you've done some physically uh physical uh things and and you solve some problems in the best cases and um Yeah, so then you can go back to whatever uh, whatever other challenges you have in your life. When you said you you started running and then you started swimming, I thought the next thing would be to to start cycling, and then you're doing a triathlon. You know, that's a, maybe that's the next stage for you. I used to cycle when I was younger. Oh, there you go. I, I used to. Uh, I, I actually wanted to become a racing cyclist, uh, but then. I didn't. Luckily, I probably would have done more drugs in my life. Yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah a sport that's harnessed with, with more drugs in the music industry, probably. Oh yeah, at that at that time for sure. 
you mentioned that you're a pretty good DJ, and I certainly agree with that. I'd say maybe more than pretty good. You're a brilliant DJ. What would you say makes a good DJ? There's many things that can make a great DJ. Uh, for me personally, um, the most important thing that someone it has to be someone who can take you on a journey. Uh, I don't want to listen track by track by track by track and it doesn't do anything in the whole picture. I, I think a good DJ is someone who can really start at some point and then build it up, break it down again, build it up again, go in this, go in this direction, go in that direction, play some house, play some melodic house and techno, play some maybe rather hard stuff, play some deep stuff, like go all the places. Like, uh, yeah, I think that what to me personally is making a good DJ. A another thing is kind of being able to communicate with the crowd. I always uh, put it in this place. Uh, I, in the, I try to explain it this way, that um, for me, it's like you enter a club, you go into the DJ booth and then you start to communicate with people. First, you have to find a language, a language that everyone in the room or that most people in the room understand. Once you found the language, you can start communicating with the people. And then it's like a give and take. And uh, this was sometimes is a bit of a shame at the big festivals you see these days where everyone's just holding up their phones and expecting the DJ to entertain them. There's no interaction coming from the crowd to the DJ. So it's like a one-way conversation it's like a monologue you know you even have like the big screens showing all the pictures blah 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 so it's no matter you can like it it's fine it looks great everything but for me this is not like what it should be or what why i became a dj um it, for me it's it's this it's everybody in the club is a part of the party the everybody on the dance floor even the bar stuff even the the door stuff, everybody is a part of the experience. It's the experience we all experience together in that moment and finding the right language and having this interference with the crowd, having this ability to kind of communicate with the crowd. That's something that really separates a lot, a lot of DJs from, from uh, the good DJs from my perspective, from other DJs. It sounds like you've always had that good ear for music and certainly something that you trust yourself with. What advice would you give to someone who's starting out in their DJ journey? Yeah, that, again, it's 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 about it's a learning process. If I listen to my first sets, uh, some of them unfortunately have been recorded. Uh, it's not a pleasure to listen back to them. Some of the stuff that I, I did at home, I just had this conversation with Christine Velvet on the weekend that uh, when we when we go back to listen to your stuff, uh, because she's been also um, a bedroom DJ for herself uh, for many years uh, before she started playing in clubs. Yeah. And when you go back to listen to these, uh, to these tapes um, or streams or whatever they are, um, it's like you realize that without having to play for a crowd uh so you don't have to please anyone uh again there's not going to be a conversation it's like really everything that's but you you choose different tracks than you would choose uh maybe because of the conversation that you might have with the with the crowd you choose different different uh tracks um yeah but then when once you start playing out uh i think the biggest mistake that many people do uh no matter at what time they play 
they start playing their biggest track in their playlist. And um, this is not always helpful, uh, especially when you're playing a warm-up set. When you start with like all the big bangers, then people just starting to get into the club, it's going to be like super awkward. It's like, <laughs> no, you, you, you this find, find the right moment for the right music, for the right tracks. And if you do warm-up, play music that you you would want to listen to when you enter a club uh, i think that's just try to try to try to see it as if you were on the dance floor or entering the club try to see your your set don't think like oh i have to i have to be play this and that and i have to be you know like baba playing all the i have to show them i'm the coolest person i have all the hits in my bags and stuff like this no try to see Try to see or visualize yourself from the outside, uh, from the dance floor, and think about what you would expect you to play in that certain moment. I think that's what really helps to become better at what you're doing uh, over the years. It's definitely, uh, you're not going to be a great DJ from day one. No one was. Take your time. Uh, Hopefully, you have the chance to start playing in smaller bars, smaller clubs, and and build your skills and build your knowledge about how to communicate with the crowd, how to what tracks to play at what time. But yeah, it's gonna take time. It's 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 a process. Yeah, the best way of learning is by doing it, and it, it can be difficult, you know, making mistakes. But I always feel like you know, if you do clear of dance floor, that gives you give yourself a challenge of you know bringing bringing people back there and then. It's the kind of learning on the job, which is a, a great thing to do. Yeah, Steve, as someone who has successfully built a brand in the music industry, what key strategies would you suggest to artists aiming to establish themselves? In my career, I was uh, basically focusing on on my own vision uh that i had in in music uh when it, as a dj as a producer as a label owner i was never really looking at what other people were doing or what was hip at the time i think to build a long lasting career it's important to stay true to yourself uh if you like trancy commercial music if you like big festival stuff and that's what's what's you what what gets you going go for it this is this is your music play it out try to make it with that kind of music but if you feel like you like the most underground weirdest stuff out there and that's what you want to play don't force yourself to play anything else because people are going to see I think being true to yourself, I think this is what at the end uh, like separates uh, long-term artists from the ones that come up and disappear again uh, because you have always some people to fall back on because you, you, you kind of, you stay true to yourself even though it's a fast-living business and a lot of people come in and don't go out anymore after a while because they get married, they have kids, they just feel bored, they don't want to get drunk anymore, they don't want to party anymore. It, so it's gonna, the crowd is going to change uh, with your career. But yeah, I think people are not stupid. They realize when you're doing something from your heart and it, there is a different... You, if you look at the DJ uh, and you see them really enjoying what they are doing then 
I think it makes a different how the cr crowd reads it and how the crowd reacts to it. And, and uh, the experience is a different one than someone standing up there trying to play what is hip at the time. It's not a question. Uh, I, I don't want to judge people for, you know, what, what kind of music they like. Uh, be free to like whatever you, whatever you want to like and whatever you want to play, but it has to come from your heart. You really have to really have to love it what you do. Yeah, and one of the things I learned from working at BBC Radio 1 here in the UK, I worked on a number of different specialist music shows, and there's an audience for all of these different specialist genres. So whether it's rock or trance or worldwide with Giles Peterson or B-Traits, you know, more techno, there's always an audience for it. So I think, you know, I really concur with what you're saying, really you know, have your vision and, and stick with, with what, well, go with what, what is true to you. And then you know, find your audience from there. Steve, so we are just coming up to the end of the interview. And I do just want to say thank you so much for spending so much time with me and with us here on Open Door Talks. Uh, I'm a huge admirer of your work and it's been fascinating to talk to you. What are your top three tips for independent musicians, DJs and producers? Yeah, I think uh, one, one is definitely, as I said before, uh, when you just started get a good pair of headphones or speakers <laughs> because it that's going to change uh, how your music is going to sound in the end. Uh, also, I said this before, get surrounded by uh, people who have a like-minded uh, like vision of their careers or try to find artists, surround yourself with other artists that you know um, have a similar view on DJing or whatever uh, and, and, and uh, you know, build something with them, maybe start your own party or something like this. And um, third one, also we said it before, stay true to yourself. Uh, these are, I think, definitely the most important things from my perspective. Final question before we wrap up. Can you share a valuable piece of advice or maybe a mantra that has guided you on your musical journey and that may inspire others who are listening to this podcast? I think really stay positive. Uh, don't let others bring you down and uh, believe in yourself. Um, and uh, again, find the right people that support you. And um, yeah, don't don't be led off by um, being uh, getting any feedback from labels, uh, stuff like that. Just keep on going. Um, when this is what you want to do, this gonna be your time at one point uh learn in the in the process learn your skills get better uh and be ready when it happens steve bug thank you so much for joining us here on open door talks my pleasure thank you very much thank you so much for listening to open door talks today if you enjoyed this episode please spread the love and share it with a friend we've also got a spotify playlist featuring the music from the podcast so make sure you check that out and head to opendoortalks.com for more information and resources. <laughs>